This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Chuck Ford and Relate Church in Byron, Mississippi. For more information, please visit RelateChurch.com. Man, isn't it great to be here this morning? I'll tell you, I, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit more, but uh, this is a special place for my wife and I. Uh, we have known Chuck and Tammy for years. Matter of fact, well, we go way back. Chuck was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. Uh, this, this is family. We love coming back here. My wife is originally from Jackson, Mississippi. She is a true Southern belle. Uh, I'm from Southern Missouri around Branson, the Ozarks. Anybody up, ever been up around those? Yeah. Uh, uh, we're Southern in a way. You know, you're, you're true Southern men and gentlemen. We're more hillbilly. You know, and so it's, it's just a good thing. Uh, I've got my shoes on, I think. But uh, matter of fact, I'm a, I'm a, it's early in the morning. I'm going to throw out a joke, and I'm going to tell you, it's not very good. So just, just brace yourself. But there was Billy the Hillbilly. Billy the Hillbilly had never really been into town, but you know what? He won a shooting contest and got invited to the city. So he came in, and they put him up in this big hotel. He'd never been in, and he's sitting in there next to his son, Bobby, and they're staring at these elevator doors, these big silver doors with no knobs on it, and they're just standing there looking at this thing, and all of a sudden this, this little old lady comes walking up beside him, pushes a button, doors open, she steps in, turns around, looks at him, smiles, doors close. He just looks at his son, looks at the doors. About a minute later, all of a sudden the doors open up, and there's this beautiful lady that walks out, smiles, and walks right on by. Those doors close, and, and Billy sat there and looked at those doors, looked at his son, said, Bobby? Go get your mom. That's as good as they get. Uh, Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. That's about as good as they get. But I tell you, I've been looking forward to coming. I know this is the third week in the series about all in. Last week, I know they talked a lot about the gifts, your individual gift. And I don't care what anybody's ever spoken over you. It's what the Word says. And the Bible says that every joint, implying that we're members of, of the body, every joint supplieth. Meaning, if you have no idea, or if you've had family friends, which aren't too good family and friends, have told you you're never going to amount to anything, or why aren't you more like... I don't care about that. I care about what His Word says. And I know you dove into that last week, knowing everybody brings something to the table. Well, this morning we're going to dive into another. It's kind of like going up a mountain with different paths. And this path this week, and about, again, the series of All In, is about biblical community or the value of biblical community. I want to break that down just a little bit more. When I say biblical, what I'm really simply saying is this. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And when I say community, I also mean church family. So what does the Bible say or what value does the Bible attribute to church family? Let me tell you, there's a lot of things there that I think sometimes we just lose in in the fact of just coming in, moving out, and, and not realizing what the Word says that the value of family really implies according to Scripture. Well, the first thing we need to do is go all the way back, and, and you can turn, if you want to, into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Our key verse is Acts chapter 20, though, verse 35. You can, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 because I'm going to be referencing there. But write down Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It says this. Now, Luke was speaking. He said, I taught you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. You will have a greater blessing when you give than when you receive. 
King James says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, sometimes when we hear a verse, we get locked and loaded on one element of it. Doesn't mean that it's not truth, but sometimes we get locked on in one aspect of it and we don't allow for the full truth. Meaning, I'll give you my perception, see if anybody of you, you agree with it. When I first heard that as a kid, teenager, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What I heard was the blessing is in giving and there's no blessing in receiving. That's not what the scripture says. It says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You're being blessed right now receiving. We're not setting out in the rain. That's a blessing. You know, I mean, we just finished a wonderful worship service. You're being blessed. We're hoping that this word's going to be decent. We're hoping, yeah. Your kids, we didn't just take the children's church, open the door and have a big bucket of candy and and just let them in. We we didn't do that. No, I'm kidding. They're not getting jacked up on candy and then you go pick them up. They're in there being taught the word of God. There's blessings on this end. But, but I want us to be having that scripture in the back of our mind as we jump into this element of it. We're talking about, again, what does the Bible say about church and family? The very first thing we need to do is see the foundation of the church. We know we're living in the latter element of the dispensation of the church. It was birthed in Acts chapter 2. And usually when we see or go uh, reading Acts chapter 2, it's usually a message about the infilling or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is true. But again, we need to see everything that is there because what we're seeing within Acts chapter 2 are four main ingredients, four main factors of a healthy church. The very first one, Acts chapter 2, you can see right there in your notes, man, the overhead as well. Uh, Verse 4, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Or let me just simply put it this way. You're looking for a church that is spirit-filled and spirit-led. Now also, I want you to know, you're setting in a church that is spirit-filled and spirit-led. You need a church that the leadership as well as a congregation, remember, my sheep hear my voice. Uh, My sheep hear my voice. You want a church that is spirit-filled and spirit-led, but there's more. There's more. The second attribute you can see right here, and it's in uh, chapter 2, verse 14. There was confidence and boldness that came upon them. Now, I think it's very key that we understand. You remember, this is the same group of people that were hiding out behind a locked door in fear. What are we going to do? I mean, they are scared. Now, all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 2, there is a confidence and a boldness that has come upon them. Now, confidence is kind of like a coin that if you flip it to the other side, what you have is arrogance. Have you ever seen somebody that they think they're in confidence, but man, they are just arrogant? See, something about confidence is attracting. Something about arrogance has a stench, and we don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, we need to be looking for a church that is confident in who they are in Christ. Again, two key elements. The first one, we want a church that is spirit-led, spirit-filled. Number two, we want a church that is confident. We want them teaching the kids in a confident way of who they are in Christ. Nothing outside of the Word of God. But we want that confidence to be instilled in them. Well, there's another third element that we're looking at. When you're looking for a healthy church... The third element we see is signs and wonders. 
I think it's interesting, if you'll mark down the verse that this is coming from, Acts chapter 2, verse 43, based upon the time period of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this possibly came not just on that day, but a little bit later as they started coming together. But you're looking for a church that is their health and healing. Is there, is there signs and wonders? Are, are marriages being mended? Is there any healing? Is there hope being presented? So again, is it spirit-led, spirit-filled? Is there confidence? And are there health elements within the church healings? Now here's the fourth one, and probably the most important byproduct of looking for a church that is healthy. People were coming to Christ. People were coming to Christ. Now, as we look at that, those four elements, when you're looking at a church anywhere, and thank the Lord, you are setting in one that hits all four of those elements. But as we're looking at churches that are healthy, they better have those four key elements. But now, look at the very way I'm implying this. We are looking for a church that has those four elements. The very presentation and the way I'm saying it comes from a consumer element. Now, anything taken to an extreme has a negative or, or potentially uh, uh, unhealthy attribute. But when you are looking, if this is your first time here, or you've only been coming for a few weeks or a month, you're looking, and you need to look. Do they hit all four of those things? The answer is yes. Now, that element, again, is from the consumer part. And there's, again, anything taken to an extreme can be unhealthy. But probably around the late 80s, early 90s, there is a stronger set of consumerism that entered into the church. And the old saying, learn to eat the hay and spit out the stubble. There's some good things there. What happened is the people started coming into church, and they weren't just going to church of, of first this or first that because that's what my parents did. They're walking into church and say, what do you have for a single parent? What do you have for a blended family? What do you have for a parent that the teen is out of control? What do you have to help me? Now, we don't take that hand and slap it and say, you don't need to have a consumer mentality. You need to be over here and just, you just need to be thankful there's a church. Look, we need to be thankful, period. But people are hurting. People are looking. And they're being, going after something. What is there? Is there anything that can help me? Initially, that's who we are. If we stay consumer mindseted, then go to the extreme of that consumerism. The unhealthy part is it's extremely selfish. We get over to the point where it's all about me. I wasn't just attracted to this church because I was a single parent, a mom or dad or a blended family. Now I've been in here for 10 years and I'm still gimme, gimme, gimme. You understand the extreme. And again, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You still need to be receiving. But are we giving? See, it's this consumerism that's gotten in in the church. It's actually been healthy to the church a little bit because what happened within most of us as pastors and churches is we realized we can't keep rolling out leftovers. We need to be prepared when people come in. We don't just, uh, you know, well, I guess we ought to start a children's church. No, we need to be prepared. What do you think we ought to do for men? What do you think we have to have a plan? 
Well, the thing is, if you take, again, anything to an extreme, it can be unhealthy. And what we seem to agree within some churches, and, and I don't want to, please don't take what I'm uh, not saying, but stay with what I'm trying to say is this. Some churches have got over to a certain point of, of trying to be so specific, almost a specialist in an area, that they've become a uh, healing center, a worship center, an outreach center, a prayer center. Now make no mistake, every one of those have a foundation within the Word of God. Every one of those have a foundation. Every one of those needs to be an attribute that comes out of a healthy church. The problem, if it goes to an extreme of just being a center focused on that, is there's one key element that is missing that makes it from a center to a church, and that is family. Family. Now again, the first four things we're looking at of a healthy church, we describe those. But now there are also, the Bible also speaks about four other key elements that help perpetuate, help keep those four key things writhing and thriving. And we see those in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. I'm specifically going to refer to the first and the fourth and then come back to the two middle ones, number two and three. The first one is obvious. In chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They continued in the apostles' doctrine. That is the Word of God. Okay, let's make no mistake. We must have our foundation upon the Word of God. Faith come by hearing and hearing by the Word. We know that the Bible says this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, which is His Word, then we know that He hears us. Isn't our goal to know that our prayers are being heard? Well, we know that He hears us if we're standing on His Word. Then we also know that we have the petitions that we so desired of Him. Let me tell you, we must be on the foundation of the Word. Well, that's, that's key. And, and I also want to let you know, you're standing in a church, or you're sitting in a church, that is based upon the Word and has one of the best teachers, teaching pastors I've ever heard. Pastor Chuck rightly divides the Word of Truth. Studies that show himself approved unto God. I'm telling you are in a place where the leadership, Paul, the different ones are endeavoring to make sure they're teaching the Word. This is a special place. Now let's skip to the fourth one. The fourth thing that it says there in Acts 2.42 is prayer. I like to sum it up like this. Nothing dynamic or lasting happens without prayer. It's very clear that the Bible says you have not because you ask not. It also goes down you have not because you ask amiss, referring to wrong motives. I, I like it when the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer or the earnest heartfelt continued prayer. I love that because that key word heartfelt. You know, you're going to pray longer and louder for anybody and everybody you have a heartfelt connection with. Sometimes we'll hear it, and, oh man, that's a shame. I hope things work out. That's not a prayer. When, you're, when, it's, when, it's a, when it's family, again, we're talking about family. When it's family, I will go longer and louder and intercede for them. Prayer is key. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. I want us to look at that one word right there. And it's not the word dynamic. It's the word available. It's there. Sitting there. Waiting for us to tap into it. How do we do it? We combine number one and number two. We combine the word to prayer. 
He watches over His Word to perform it. So we must speak the Word. Let me tell you, I don't think a lot of churches... Well, no, I, that's, that's giving a lot of churches a lot of credit. Uh, there's some good churches out there that are based upon the Word and praying God's Word. But our topic today is an element of the other two that I think, to a great degree, is a missing element within the church. The Word and prayer are like two amazing building blocks. But if we don't have, in my opinion, if we don't have these other two, we're stacking up stones that from a distance it looks powerful. But the mortar that solidifies them are these other two. And it says this, the breaking of bread and fellowship. The breaking of bread of fellowship, or let's say it like this, family. 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 It's easy to talk about family and you know, family is in each other's lives. We celebrate with each other. We cry with each other. We're there for each other. I mean, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the video back here. I'm looking at, at Taylor. Look, I, I was a sports guy, you know, about 80 years ago. I was, I was decent. Just trust me. I, you know, I, I, I call my mom. I promise you. I was decent at one time. I'm sitting there looking at this video, and I'm, this is the thing that kids dream about. As a sophomore, she kicks the golden goal to win the state championship. Come on. That is awesome. That is awesome. You know, I would say, you know what? I finished my junior and senior year in college second place in the nation twice. You know what they give you? Nothing. You don't get a nothing. You don't get a ring for second. You know, but, it, but it's something about family that we're in each other's lives. Speak, well, come from good sports. Paul's the only guy that I've ever seen. I've seen a couple guys hit a hole in one. He's the only guy that I've ever seen hit a double eagle. That's a par five, and he made it in two shots. Yeah, yeah, and we're not exaggerating. There's no money exchanging hands right there. That's real. Guys, we celebrate. We're in each other's lives. It is not enough for us just to come to church, get in some amazing worship, get an amazing word, and then leave. Not only is it just not right, it's not biblical. We need to be in each other's lives. This last little bit, I'm going to talk about six benefits of being in community or a church family. A church is not about rituals, practices, and rites. It's primarily about enjoying a relationship with our loving Heavenly Father and then enjoying fellowship with each other. The first thing, number one, friendships. Now that's easy to just write down, but I, I want you to write down the rest of it. You need friendships that matter. You need friendships that matter where you're having fun and enjoyment with each other. They are valuable to you. Let me give you a little more emphasis on that word valuable. There's a lot of people, when I sit down, and, and Mandy and I do a lot of marriage and family uh, uh, teaching and, and uh, uh, conferences, different things like that. And when I talk with somebody, I said, let me see your values. What, what are your family values? And typically when they rattle off the values, it's very nice. And I said, okay, now tell me about a week in your life. Tell me about a day and then tell me about a week in your life. What I'm doing is looking at the priorities. Or let me say it this way. You can tell me or I can tell you all about my values. But if they do not line up or within my priorities, then all they are is a desire. You know, we turn the first of the year, but I'm going to drop about 10 pounds you know, while I'm walking out of Krispy Kreme. Yeah. 
Look, well, matter of fact, that's not even a desire. That gets over here. That's a dream. <laughs> if it's a truly valuable thing to you, you'll go the extra mile for it. So this is where I don't, want to, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to be honest to yourself. Do you have a friend in your life that truly matters? You matter to them and they matter to you. You know that you know it. You've had the conversations at two in the morning that you take their call. You've had those elements where you're in each other's lives, where you're, where you're speaking sometimes even strong to each other. I think there's an element of sometimes when I say speaking strong to each other, that especially of us that have come from more of a, uh, of a faith element, that we get a confusion that sets in on, on talking about anything negative. But we need to understand there's a difference. There's a difference between facts and faith, okay? Faith is not denying the facts. Faith is putting all those facts in proper perspective with God's truth. The fact is... This is my money situation. The fact is, this is my health situation. The fact is, whatever you're looking at. But the truth says this. So I have to start looking. Do I have anybody in my life that can speak that kind of truth to me? Remember, remember. Adam is walking up and down in the garden with God. Him and God. It can't get any better than that. Or can it? Because it said it's not good that man be alone. It's Him and God. We are designed to come together. I like how the Bible says fitly joined together. You know what that implies? Two key things. Fitly implies perfection because it's God's will. And it also implies proximity. We are in each other's lives. And when you get in each other's lives, some about family is messy. So get over it. And I like to say, well, you know what? Build you a bridge and get over it. Family is messy, but it is worth it. Marriage is messy, but it's worth it. And I, I was reminded of an example when my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, was a little girl. Anybody got a picky eater? I mean, an extremely picky eater when they were growing up. Oh, my gosh. Not just would she only eat certain things, but if, you, if you're bringing the plate to the table, and God forbid if that pea rolled over and touched the mashed potatoes, they don't, they don't touch. Ah. Uh, when I, where I was working at one time, we had a daycare, so I, she got to go with me, and I'd drop her off and pick her up, and I had some of the workers say to me one day, said, have you ever seen your daughter eat? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Said, especially the snacks with like a, like a little honey bun or donut we kick up. Yeah, she has uh, crane arms. <laughs> and so literally, she'll be sitting there, and they'll cut it up, and she's looking at it. I want that in me, but I don't want that stickiness. She would sit there and have her arms up like this. And she's operating her hands. How can I, how can I get that? And, and she wants it. And then, okay, now we've got another problem. How do, I, how do I get that in? And it was hilarious. Some of the other kids are just, I mean, they're just hand over fist. She's sitting there, and man, she, gets, she loves it. But if there's any that got on it, it's like, how do we get that off? She is hilarious. Well, it's funny when you're looking at a little girl. It's not funny when we take that same scenario into the church as adults. And we say, I want all the good stuff, but I don't want any of the mess. I don't want to be in anybody's life. I don't want anybody to be in my business. I just want to keep... You know, it sounds surreal. I just want to come in and get a good word. You know what? If that's all we say, think about how incredibly selfish that is. We are a body fitly joined together. It is never, ever, ever, ever just about me or you. 
it is always about us. Yes. Number two, as we look there, opportunities to make a difference. Opportunities to make a difference. You know the old saying, teamwork makes a dream work. When we come together, I, I was thinking of something a couple of years ago. There was an elementary school, and it's kind of, it was called an academy. They didn't have anything left that resembled academy, except they all dressed the same. They lost all the yards, everything. They had like 600 kids in this elementary. It was huge, and they had the worst little playground you can imagine. And we jumped out there with our church and family, families, families. We get out there from the kids, the teenagers, the adults, and we're just raking, we're pouring stuff, and we're having, we built these kids uh, a playground. At this school, but we're looking around at each other and the joy that we had of coming together. Now, when everybody drives by that school, they're like, I had a part in that. It wasn't just me, but we did something. And I know that's a small element, but there are so many things we can do when we come together. When we come together. Number three, accountability. Accountability, or another word you may want to add there is transparency. In the late 80s, after some great men of God, and I'm, I'm saying some good men of God made some major mistakes, uh, and a lot of big ministries fell, it became vogue for a lot of pastors to have an accountability board. I've got an accountability board. I've got an accountability board. Well, who cares? Accountability only works if you want to be accountable. If I'm not transparent, and if I'm not in your life and you're in mine, and you know what? That takes a little bit of relational equity. You don't want somebody that doesn't know you with the gift of the obvious. Well, first of all, I don't even like your hair. <laughs> I don't need that. I, I need somebody that is going to speak truth into my life, that when they speak those words that, that are a little rough, I know they love me. They're not going anywhere either. They're speaking strong words, but I'm here. I'm not going. And let me tell you, I need your words to me probably tomorrow. This is never, the church is never ever about perfection. It's about excellence. And excellence is something we control 24-7. Excellence is simply this, giving your best. When Mandy and I would talk, uh, teach about marriage and family, we'll say, listen, I, I'm, 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 I'm a decent guy. Most days, my excellence is, is probably about an eight. Man, I can just hit an eight. But there's times that I may come in to Mandy and I said, darling, I need to let you know right now, uh, my best is about a four. That's my excellence for right now. I've had a lot of stuff going on, and my best is a four, but I'm still giving my best. I'm also being open and honest. See, we have to have that element of accountability. It's designed to hold... Accountability isn't designed to hold you down, but to free you up. You need that in your life. Number four, personal development and growth. Personal development and growth. This is what it can add to. Personal development. Well, I can just hear the word. You know what? The word is what builds us up, but it's when we're bouncing it off with each other. I did this study several years ago. I wanted to improve my communication. So I had a friend that, that uh, years ago was connected with Zig Ziglar, and he got me connected with this, this national seminar group to, to better how you communicate and relate. And quickly what I learned was the difference of monologue and dialogue. As preachers, I'm up here teaching. This is monologue. I'm teaching to you, and I'm looking out and seeing smiles. And yeah, I mean, they're smiles. So I think, man, I'm nailing it. Some of yes, yes. And all you, yeah, all you did was I decided I know where I'm going to lunch today. I have no idea, in reality, how this is landing. 
You understand in monologue, I'm just going with the amens and what I feel and what I see. And I'm also going with the word that I prepared that I know the Lord's put in my heart. But the best element of teaching is dialogue. All of a sudden you take a message and then all of a sudden you're having coffee, small group, wherever with somebody and said, you know, I love those first two parts, but I thought he was way off on number three. Because when he said it, this is what I thought. And somebody said, no, man, that's not what he meant. This is what he said. Or you know what? This is what I thought. It's the dialogue of all of a sudden coming together. Well, what does the word say? You need the iron sharpening iron. But again, iron cannot sharpen iron being separated. The only way it sharpens itself is coming together. And do you realize the sharpening is so precise? It doesn't take a whole lot of different of messing up that angle to get an owl. It's messy. Family's messy. Family members are going to let you down. But that transparent leadership is key. Own it. Own it. You know, I have a separate message for some pastors. And uh, it's kind of funny, but it's, it's where I said, pastors, put down your makeup bag. We all have one. We put a little lipstick on a pig. We make that testimony sound good. Bless God, I went through a tough time. I stood on this word and it, God took care of everything. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, that, didn't that take three years? Well, yeah, yeah, it took three. So you telling me during that, you quoted that scripture and you stayed strong three years? Oh, no. Was there any days that you felt like you wanted to give up? Yeah. Was there any days that you ever felt like nobody else even knew your name? Yeah. Then don't tell a testimony that is not genuine and real because it says it's faith. It's fighting a good fight of faith. There are days you want to give up and the easiest days you want to give up are usually the days that you feel the most isolated. That's why family is so key. That's why ministry of excellence is what we want to live by and say, hey, today... I'm a two. I don't even want to get out of bed. I need you. And you say, absolutely. I'm going to pray for you right now. Family. All right. Personal development growth. Seven, social events. I'm just going to say this. Don't overlook this or undervalue this. Social events, that's everything from a, from a small group, Bible study, to a conference, to coffee, to, to going to the rodeo. The social element. Well, that doesn't sound too spiritual. We are spirit, soul, and body. What usually happens, we need all four ingredients now. We need the word, we need prayer, but we need the fellowship and the breaking of bread. You cannot pick one, two, or even three of those and be fully healthy. You can pick a few and put on a good front. But you want to be healthy, we need all four. The last one. This is one I'm going to close with and I want to spend just a little bit of time with. And this is the sense of community or connection. I wrote down there, this is the one that cures loneliness. The sense of community or connection. I want to read something to you. It's kind of unique. You may have read it in the news. It was only last month that uh, the Prime Minister, uh, Theresa May, appointed a minister of loneliness over their country. I want to read a little bit. Tracy Crouch, Britain's Undersecretary for Sport and Civil Society, is to coordinate this, the response that they're putting out in legislation. 
And they identified that since Britain voted to leave the European Union more than a year ago, Europeans had mockingly said that the decision will result in an isolated, lonely nation. But what they found out was even before that, there's a serious problem with loneliness. Researchers found that almost 9 million of their population often or always feel lonely. They went on to say, the Prime Minister May said this, For too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. Mark Robinson, the chief officer that was to oversee some of this, he warned that this problem could kill. It's proven to be worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. He wrote, it can be associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. My question is this, where's the church? The church is the one that's supposed to have the answer. Now listen to me. We must have the Word of God. We must have prayer. But in my opinion, one of the key elements that, that gets sucked out of church and turns it into religion, not relationship, is when we forget the fellowship and the breaking of bread. It's not enough just to come hear a word. You can be in a room full of people and still feel suffocating from the feeling of loneliness. It's a feeling. But it'll suck hope, faith, right out of the room if you allow it. And it's hard to fight it when you get isolated. They go on to say, it doesn't discriminate. Young or old, loneliness does not discriminate. The government research has found that about 200,000 older people in Britain had not had a conversation with a friend or relative in more than a month. So she was surprised when they started this group about how many young people were jumping into it. The millennials that we see may jumping out were jumping in. I still need relationship. It's only a matter of time, Ms. Jenkins quoted, it's only a matter of time before loneliness turns into depression and that's where it gets dangerous. I've counseled too many people that have been coming to church for a long time, sitting in the service, but they feel isolated and alone and hopeless. And when I ask them, are you, are, you in a, are you in a small group? Is anybody in your life, well, I'll come to a few of the Sunday school or the equipped class. Now, those are good. Those are good, but they serve a purpose over here. I'm talking about an element where somebody can be in your life. I'm going to close with this. This came out only about two days ago. You may, I'm not going to give you his name, but I'm going to let you know he was a leading megachurch pastor here in our country a year and a half ago. He, he fell because he uh, had a drinking problem. And his leaders rallied around him trying to help him, but, but he faltered and fell. The church struggles with individuals that may not look quite right. We struggle, do we restore them? No, the, a loving somebody does not mean putting them right back in the same place. But it also does not mean casting them into the leper field. Because they haven't got cleaned up quick enough. Or they still seem to be struggling with something. we got to be very, very careful. He put this out on his page. And he said this, and I love his honesty. And when I'm reading this, and then we're going to pray, I want you to be honest with yourself. He said, last night I wanted to get drunk. Not enjoy a glass of wine, but literally drink so much that I passed out. Why was this desire so prevalent? It was a combination of loneliness, shame, and accusation. 
There are days when I feel so alone, it physically hurts. There are days that the shame of what I've done makes me want to hide, never to come out again. Yesterday was simply hard. And though getting drunk would not have solved my problems, it would have given me a temporary relief to the pain that was terrorizing my soul. I wanted to, but I didn't. I resisted the urge, I fought hard, and I was able to overcome. But now listen, I don't say this to impress you. I say this for the lonely, those who feel abandoned and betrayed, those who the shame of your past make you believe there's no hope for your future. He said this, hang on. Even though the pain is real, hang on. Even though it feels like hardly anyone cares, hang on. Because I really do believe, for me and for you, that the best day is yet to come. And the potential for our future is greater than the pain in our past. Jesus has been with me this whole time. Even though when I made so many bad decisions, He is right there with me, and He's there with you as well. So once again, hang on. The pain may still be very hard and real today, but we are one step closer to a breakthrough that I know is on the way. Remember the verse that I told you early? It's more blessed to give than to receive. That doesn't mean that you're not in pain right now. That doesn't mean that there's not a sense of loneliness. Or maybe you have a family member or friend that you're, you're, they're just isolated. And you're trying to pull them in. I want to remind you in that same case when I'm so consumed with what's going on in my life and I, I'm praying and, I, and I'm, I'm focused on me, I want to remind you of Job. Job lost it all. But at the end of the book it said he got back double when he prayed for his friends. It's more blessed to give than to receive even when you're in pain. So can I pray for you? I want you to bow your head. I want to pray with you, but I want you to do something. Before I pray with you, I know that there's situations, things going on in your life, and I'm going to speak the Word of God over it. But before I do, I want you to be thinking of somebody. I want you to be thinking of somebody that you can pray over. Who's popping in your mind and your heart right now that you can pray over? While I'm praying over you, I want you to be praying over someone else. Whoever it is, you speak their name and you speak the Word over them. Father, right now, as I said a few moments ago, Lord, it is so true that the enemy likes to isolate. Lord, when I, when I read about Jesus when he was tempted, the first thing I see is that he came after the word. But in reality, Lord, he came after Jesus when he was alone in the desert. He got out isolated. That's when he attacked him. And the first thing is he went after the word. Father, there may be individuals here that feel alone. And when you feel alone, you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. Father, I ask you, flood them. Flood them with your hope. Letting them know that it's so real when your word says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Father, give them a glimpse of the hope that you have for them. Let them see with your eyes. Let the fog be lifted so they can see clearly of the decisions of what to do, when to do it, how to do it. That they can rise up with confidence of knowing it's going to be okay. 
And Father, as we get that revelation, we also fully understand it is never ever about me. I want to take that confidence and I want to share it with someone else. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.